HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Atema, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I've tried to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Lucy Seligman, who is an author, life coach, and Zen coach. She has a cookbook called The Wonderful World of Osechi, Japanese New Year's Recipes. New Year is a big deal for Japanese people. It's the foremost, the biggest holiday in the year, which I would say is an equivalent of Thanksgiving and Christmas combined in terms of the cultural importance. And there are many kinds of special foods involved in Japanese New Year celebration, and each has interesting cultural implications. So today, we'll discuss all about Japanese New Year's Feast, along with Lucy's very intriguing life in Japan as a restaurant critic and writer. But before we start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write to our review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Lucy Seligman. Hello, Lucy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I am very excited. So this is so timely. <laughs> <laughs> this is December yes. 14th. <laughs> so uh, so let's see. Uh, we have to know first who you are because you have very interesting background. So um, <laughs> where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? I love these questions. Uh, I grew up into a Hollywood family in Los Angeles. My dad was a TV and film producer. Uh, there were five kids and my mom and dad. Um, to be completely honest, my mother was not much of a cook, uh, which might explain why I love to cook so much. Um, I remember <laughs> lots of uh, grilling that my father did. He loved to grill steaks and all sorts of things. I remember growing strawberries with him. I remember making kosher pickles with him. Um, 
we were raised culturally Jewish, but not religious. So, you know, we would have locks and bagels every weekend, but we didn't go to temple or, or stuff like that. So kind of a, a real mix. Um, I remember visiting my grandmother in New York, who literally all of the food came out of a can. So very different from how I eat now and how I've eaten as an adult. Mm, interesting. So when mother is a bad cook, it could be either way. <laughs> it's a follow the, the path or go completely the opposite. So you took the opposite thing. <laughs> I took the opposite. And actually from, uh, I recently found scrapbooks from around 10 to 11 and 12. They were all filled with recipes. And I basically took over the cooking. Mm. So, um, and, and I've tried some of the recipes from that time and they still work, which I think is pretty funny. Mm. So that sounds classic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into Japanese culture? Um, actually it was a complete mistake, uh, which, you know, it's so interesting to think about. I was supposed to go to Scandinavia when I was 15 to an island to study arts and crafts with a, an incredibly great group called the Experiment in International Living at that time out of Vermont. And literally like a month before I was supposed to go and I'd spent months reading, Scandinavian novels and studying about Scandinavia, the, uh, they decided that anyone under the age of 16, it was too much of an insurance liability for kids to go to the program because it was an island. I, of course, was really surprised because since I grew up in LA and we had a swimming pool, I could swim before I could walk. But okay, I got it. And um, they said, we'll send you a list of all the other countries that are still open and you can go wherever you want. And I convinced my mother to let me go to Japan. I literally just looked down the list and pointed at Japan. We didn't know anyone there. Of course, I didn't speak Japanese at the time. And I told her, well, mom, I can use chopsticks. It will be fine. And I was so clueless and I've never been great at geography. I thought China and Japan were the same country. I mean, I was very uh, naive, but the minute I stepped off the plane, I was in love with Japan with Japan. And that feeling has never stopped. Uh, the first trip was close to three months and I studied uh, Japanese in Hiroshima and I stayed at Tokyo's Olympic Village. And I did a homestay with a family in a Japanese family in Okayama. And I just loved it. And I loved everything about it. And of course, I loved the food. And when I came back to America, I told everyone, I'm going back to Japan. It's going to be my major in college. No one believed me. And of course, eventually that's what happened. Wow. That's pretty <laughs> dramatic change. <laughs> well, Definitely. Yeah, well, Scandinavian, I think the water there is too close, even for a good swimmer. But uh, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, and then you, you went back to Japan uh, first as a college student and also as a resident for 13 years. So how did they happen? So um, I 
uh, eventually majored in uh, Japanese and Japanese culture. And USC, which is where my degree is from in California, they were offering a junior year abroad at Waseda University. So um, once again, I convinced my mother to let me go. And I went and I lived with the Mitsui family. I was their 21st born daughter. Um, this incredibly generous and wonderful family. And I lived there for a year. Of course, I loved it. My mother came to visit. She loved it. And um, eventually, a couple of years later, I married a Japanese national and I ended up living in both Tokyo and Nagoya. So if you think, if I add up all my time, I lived in Japan a total of a little bit over 13 years. Mm, wow. So it's impressive. Waseda University is really, um, you know, long history, one of the greatest universities in Japan. And so the Mitsui family, is that Mitsui family or that Mitsui Zaibatsu? Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, he, he was a, um, a camera shop owner. And uh, it was very interesting. Mr. Mitsui actually had come over during the war to visit his uncle in America. And he was interned in an internment camp and uh, was not able to go back to Japan for a number of years. And even considering that incredibly horrible experience, he loved America and he loved Americans. And that's why this very modest family would host um, foreign students. And I was so lucky to be one of his daughters, American daughters. And even after my year there, we remained friends. He met my, when I got married, my then husband, and we stayed in touch until unfortunately he died. So, Mm. um, very, very, very sweet family. And he actually would take me, he, he loved to have coffee in the morning and we would get up early and, and talk about Japan and his life. And every Sunday we would go and he would take me to a neighborhood restaurant for dinner so we could have more time together. It's just incredible family. Mm, I was I'm very so lucky. glad. Yeah. It's just such a beautiful story. Um, okay. And then, um, so I heard while you were in Japan for about 13 years, uh, mm-hmm. you were a restaurant critic, food historian, and writer, and as the editor of a culinary newsletter on Japanese cuisine. So there are a lot there. So first of all, how do you become a restaurant critic? And uh, what kind of restaurants did you review and for food? Right. Um, I had a, a, a restaurant review column with the Japanese, Japan Times, and they were really great. They... Uh, let me literally review Japanese and non-Japanese restaurants in the Tokyo area. And if I traveled outside of Tokyo and I got to pick what I like to do, it's really interesting to me, even though that happened quite a a few many years ago, um, all the editors that I had when I lived in Japan were still all friends. Some are still in Japan. Some have gone back to their home countries, but we're still linked. And I also had a recipe food essay column for PHP Intersect uh, for the Student Times, for which was another paper of the Japan Times. I wrote a lot. Um, and 
started getting known as someone who loved Japanese food history and, you know, wrote essays about them and wrote, did recipes. And eventually I started my own newsletter, which was mm. Gosho Sama, which of course means thanks for the meal. And um, that's, I did that along with all the other uh, freelance writing that I did when I lived in Japan. Mm. So, I mean, the Japan Times is the biggest English newspaper, as mm-hmm. far as I know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but how do you become a, become a restaurant critic at the Japan Times? That's, <laughs> you must have I, done I, something very spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I've been racking my brains to try to remember. I think what happened was I had been writing for other publications and I literally just approached them and said, this is, you know, this is me. This is what I do. Here's some of my writing. And I would love to be a restaurant critic for you. And they let me do it. You know, um, I did a couple of columns and it was very well received. And I did it for a number of years. Of course, it was so much fun because what a great way to get to know the food world of Japan. Mm, right. So I'm sure you did something great. You were not aware of how great that was. But, <laughs> <laughs>、um, so, and you had your own cooking school、uh, called、yes. Lucy's Kitchen. So,、yes. what kind of programs do, did you offer? I know who were your students? Well, because、uh, I speak Japanese, I was able to offer classes to native Japanese, regional, and、uh, it's very funny because. Because I'm so interested in Japanese food history, I taught Japanese historical cuisine to Japanese, and, which sounds kind of odd, but、um, they were so interested. They might not have known about these recipes.、Um, but I also taught French, I taught Italian cooking, I taught Mexican cooking. I had my own school, I also taught at other schools.、Um, and of course, I had All my recipes. It was so much fun. And、um, it was a great way, once again, to be part of Japan,、um, spending time every week with different groups of women,、um, many Japanese, but many、um, expats or foreigners who are living in Japan, many of whom are my friends to this day. So,、mm. I was very lucky. And even when I lived in Nagoya, I would go up to Tokyo once a, a month and teach there at, a diff- at other schools. So,、mm. it was a lot of fun. Right. Well, it's been impressive. Rather than only Japanese cooking, you were able to teach Italian, Mexican, other you know, <laughs> cuisine. So, how did you study cooking, including Japanese? So,、uh, in terms of Non Japanese cooking, literally from my teens, I took cooking classes. And、uh, if I traveled to Europe,、uh, I would study cuisine. I was very lucky. I lived around the corner from the Cordon Bleu when I lived in Paris for two years. So you can imagine where I went every time I had a free moment. I studied cooking in Italy. I studied cooking in America, eventually getting certified by the Boston University's Culinary Arts Program. As for Japanese cooking, I took classes the whole time I lived in Japan,、um, in Tokyo as well as in Nagoya. And because I lived 
I guess you could say more of a Japanese lifestyle because my then husband was a Japanese national. I learned how to food shop. I learned how to cook Japanese uh, dishes, especially osechi from my then mother-in-law and sisters-in-laws. That was sort of the beginning. And I just continued to learn and study and read and cook on my own, actually, to this day. Mm, wow. Amazing. So, all right. So based on your knowledge, we're going to discuss osechi okay. <laughs> with you after <laughs> breaks. <laughs> so we'll take okay. a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll dive into the Japanese New Year's feast. So please stay with us. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Aki Katayama, and my guest today is Lucy Seldman, who is the author of the excellent cookbook, The Wonderful World of Osechi, Japanese New Year's Recipes. So uh, let's talk about Japanese New Year's Feast. Uh, first of all, um, what is the theme of your, of your book, The Wonderful World of Osechi, Japanese New Year's Recipes, and uh, why did you write it? Um so even though I'm now based in the Bay Area and have been for many years, I have continued the tradition of making osechi every year uh, with my daughter. And uh, she loves Japanese cooking as much as I do. And, you know, it's not as fancy or as involved as it might be if we we're in Japan, but we have Osechi favorites and we continue to celebrate Oshogatsu, Japanese New Year, every year with Osechi. When I thought about what would I like to write about as a cookbook, um, because I also have I, thanks for the meal, which is my Japanese food blog right now, I realized, of course, the first book I'll write would be on Osechi. And it's really filled with not only kind of a explanation of what are the traditional Osechi foods and um, with recipes, but also what are some of my favorites. And I really, really love that Everything in Osechi has a symbol or symbolizes something. And I love the concept of, you know, you celebrate Osechi, you celebrate Japanese New Year. It's kind of a year-end ritual, and it's an annual tradition that families do. And um, it doesn't change. You know, it may, of course, 
dishes may change a little bit. Every household has their favorites, but I love the tradition of you get all your shopping done, you've planned the menu. Um, most of the cooking is done in advance because it's the dishes are served cold. And the actual holiday, which is January 1st to January 3rd, is really an enjoyable and relaxed time with your family, um, enjoying good food, good drink. You may have visits from other family members, and it's just sort of a way to ring out the old year and ring in the new year. And I can't think of a more important uh, tradition to do that than this year, to be honest. Right. Mm, 100%. Yeah, we in Japan, we don't have any major event like national event because you know majority of japanese people are not christians or jewish or you know the halloween's kind of commercial valentine's day <laughs> so right, right yeah everybody's focus actually is really uh, in new year and also it has to be sacred so yeah it's a big deal so uh let's talk about i mean the, the three days as you said the first to the third of january is the focus but before that, you said mm -hmm. it's a lot of things. That there are many rituals. So, um, for listeners who are not familiar with the Japanese style New Year, could you tell us the classic rituals uh, from you know before the New Year to through uh, the January third? Right. So, uh, one thing that people traditionally do is on New Year's Eve, December thirty first, they eat toshikoshi soba, and toshikoshi soba is um, I call it basically, traditionally you have it at midnight on New Year's Eve into the first, and it is years passing soba. It's, uh, good luck soba for the coming year. Um, it's, uh, very, depending on where you are, you you may have different ingredients in it because I first ate Toshiko soba in Tokyo. My Toshiko soba is quite um, simple with chicken and, and le Japanese leeks, negi uh, in a dashi soyu base. And it, it, again, it's kind of setting you up for um, the end of one year moving into the next year. And, uh, you know, it, what you can do is you can even make reservations in Japan to buy freshly made soba, uh, to cook up at home. Um, when I lived in Japan, I actually tried making it myself. Uh, it was the one and only time I did it using fresh uh, buckwheat flour. And, uh, I got uh, many nods of approval from my Japanese family, um, even though without the special chef's knife used by soba cutters, they were a trifle thick, to be honest. But um, it's, a, it's a nice tradition. And of course, this year, I'll be making it here in the Bay Area. Then what else do you do? Um, the, from the first to the third, the other tradition that you uh, would do um, is you would visit on the 31st, you would visit a shrine or temple or into the first or second or third, depending on where you live and what's happening. Um, and this 
custom is called Hatsumode, and it's where you pray for good health and safety and good fortune for the coming year. And this period of January 1st to the 3rd, businesses are shut down. It is a tradition. I'm not quite sure about what's going to happen this year. It's a tradition that you travel back to your hometown or wherever your parents are, and you spend that period with your family. Um, there's many other traditions of that period, but that's sort of the beginning until we get to uh, Osechi and Japanese uh, New Year's dishes. Mm, right. So let's just quickly go going back to Toshikoshi Soba. So those Toshikoshi means passing the year. So yes. it's important to eating, you know, the New Year's Eve is ideally at the midnight yes. means a smooth transition to one year to the next. And right. uh, it's part of you know, the hope that next day is going to be nice and happy. And it's so is long. That means a yes. long life. Long so life, that's, right. Right. That's another implication of happiness and positive um, thing to happen in the new year. And uh, so you said that it's, you know, the Hatsumode, it's like you know, going to a temple or shrine uh, and the pray for the good year. That in my case, we would eat Toshikoshi at midnight and go to bed and then we wake up like five o'clock in the morning, very first thing in the morning, go to the shrine, pray, go back to sleep, and then wake up like 10 o'clock and then start eating osechi. So that was our ritual, but there's so I many variations. <laughs> there are many variations. And, you know, there's um, uh, some people do uh, watch the sunrise, on New Year's Day, sometimes on the top of a mountain like Mount Fuji. You know, um, I don't like the cold. I couldn't imagine doing that. But one thing that I really, really miss uh, here in the Bay Area, it used to be I could hear it on TV occasionally. They don't seem to offer it anymore, is Omisoka. And at the stroke of midnight, all the Buddhist temples in Japan, 108 bells are rung. And this kind of is a, uh, you could call it a sort of purification and getting ready for the new year, getting rid of anything that happened in the old year and bringing in the new. And I don't know why I love those bells. Um, it's, again, another tradition of separating the old to the new. Mm, right. So they say there are 108 um some negative feelings, desires, exactly. worries, and sadness. Unless by ringing the bell, you just get rid of it one by one. Right. So as you eat uh, uh, Toshikoshi Soba, you listen to the temple bells, and then right. you're getting ready gradually for the great year to come. So, yeah, it's not just eating Soba. And uh, it's very, it's the beginning of uh, the sacred moment of the year. Right. Right. And so, it's so, what a wonderful, um, symbolic, but actually something that you do to sort of establish getting rid of releasing the old and bringing in the new. I just love the whole concept. Right. Yeah. As opposed to like, when I look up, uh, you know, New Year's Eve in this country, in America, mm -hmm. how do you get rid of hangover on the first day of the year? Like, that's the yeah. complete opposite. <laughs> you don't exactly. want to start the... <laughs> Yeah. You yeah. know, I never, 
even before I ever went to Japan, I never liked um, American New Year's Eves. And um, I never understood the whole point, you know. And I think that's why um, my first experience of Osechi and Oshogatsu and Toshikoshi Soba made such an impact to me. And it just felt more natural. It meant more to me. And um, it's why I've continued to do it and why it's something my daughter expects every year as well. You know, it's our celebration. Mm, right. Yeah, I mean, being in America, I don't, I'm not, I'm okay with having nice champagne and celebrate with friends. <laughs> me too, <laughs> but, me too. <laughs> yeah, but being in Japan, there's some different feeling that you get about New Year, like it starts, I think, you know, like given the all companies stop working uh, simultaneously on the 29th, I think. And then yeah. everybody starts cleaning the house. And uh, I mean, literally whole house is clean just for the New Year. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so it's not just three days. Everything's about cleansing your mind and spirit and everybody's right. get to reset. So that's Japanese New Year. And I love that concept of reset. Uh, and you're right. You know, I remember God spending days cleaning the house and I still do that here. You know, we'll, it's so funny you said that. I was looking at my calendar. When will we start cleaning the house? I already set the date that we'll go shopping for uh, Osechi ingredients um, and sort of the last you know, four or five days of the year is taken up with preparing for our celebration. Mm, right. Okay. So, uh, so people eat the wasechi, like you said, uh, during the first three days of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I heard that the history of eating wasechi goes back to the Heian period, which was exactly. from eighth to twelfth century, somewhere between them. So, so what exactly is wasechi, and why is it important to Japanese people? So. If you can imagine, um, Osechi has a very special look. And uh, if you can, um, if you don't know what it looks like, if you imagine very ornate uh, lacquered boxes stacked on top of each other, uh, the boxes are called jubako, and they're absolutely beautiful. Um, And each tier, there's usually four tiers, has specific foods that you eat. I think, again, what I love about Osechi is, you know, each food has a meaning and um, and has a placement. For example, um, and all the dishes in these jubako are cold, so they're prepared in advance. Uh, in the old days, they were very, very heavily sugared. It was a way to preserve the dishes since they were served on the first and then refilled and continued to be served the first, second, and third of January. Of course, now these days, people, you know, we have refrigeration, uh, we can control the temperature. We, we don't use as much sugar as in those days, but I love that each tier means something. And if you'd like me to explain a little bit about each tier, I'd be happy to. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, let's just, uh, I think there's a theme of each tier, right? So, yeah, right. please. 
Right. So um, the first tier, the first, the top tier, Ichinoju, has the most festive foods. And it has things like kamaboko, which is colorful red and white steamed rice cakes. And it's eaten with wasabi and soy sauce. Oh, and the fish cakes, right? The fish, fish cakes. Right. Yeah. And um, it's a a remembering that red and white in in Japan are good luck colors. So a lot of the colors of Osechi follows that. Um, also, other dishes that you might find in the first tier are uh, kobumaki and dried herring and uh, tazukare, which is dried sardines. Again, um, kind of, I mean, we don't have time to go into each one, but always meaning something. Um, Kuromame, which is sweet black beans, they represent good health. So not only are they a symbol of health, but it's also kind of the associate idea that if you're in good health, you can work hard in the year to come. Mm. Um, Those are some of the dishes. Right. So mame is beans, but the mame means, uh, you know, kind of industrial so right. that means if you eat kromame, you become the industrious person. <laughs> you work right. hard and <laughs> stay healthy. Um, yeah, and it's it's interesting. So this, all right. So that's the first uh, tier. But by right. the way, there's lacquer box, like you know, the five, uh, the four layers of lacquer box boxes on top of right. each other. It's right. usually shiny and saved for that occasion, and it's right. stored it's kept- carefully. Exactly. Yeah. It's kept tucked away. It's only used for Osechi. Um, I have some, but they're not the really high-end one, which are very, very pricey. They're so beautiful and ornate. Um, I mean, if you even if you Google it, uh, Jubako, you'll see examples of them. And, you know, another thing is the chopsticks that you use for uh, Osechi for Japanese New Year are new. Um, and they're used only for this period. So it's kind of like everything is new um, and special. Uh, you know, the second tier, Ninoju, has the grilled foods. And it could be... Um, yellowtail or chicken teriyaki. It's large salted grilled prawns served in their shells. And, um, you know, once again, all prepared in advance, but served, you know, on the first day and through the second and third. The third tier, San Noju, is this whole tier contains vegetables individually boiled in a sweetened dashi and it's called nishime and it's actually one of my favorite dishes um and they're beautifully cut vegetables things like carrots and um reconstituted uh shiitake mushrooms and burdock root lotus root fresh water chestnuts a whole um combination of flavors beautifully presented. And then the last tier, the fourth tier, Yonoju, has pickled dishes um, like namasu, which is a very colorful uh, salad of shredded carrots and daikon radish. And, you know, other foods like marinated turnips in a sweetened vinegar. And um, sometimes a 
punctatus, which is like a mackerel marinated in a tart vinegar sauce. So when you think about it, if you think of all four of the tiers, your your taste buds are exploding with all sorts of different flavors. That's not the whole meal, but that's kind of the basic of it.、Mm, right. Yeah. So, like you said,、uh, there are many implications in each. Uh, tier, like for example, there is a shrimp, like whole shrimp,、mm-hmm. and、uh, shrimp looks like old man, old old woman. So because the、mm-hmm. back is kind of like you know, and not straight. So that means that you live long, and that's、exactly. uh, yeah. And、uh, you know, komumaki is a、uh, kombu, and、uh, the kombu sounds similar to yorokobu, which is joy. So、right. you're gonna have a lot of joy in the new year. So it's just so many happy things, and、uh, too bad we can only have it once a year. But <laughs> that's why I think、uh, exactly. it's precious. <laughs> For example, kazunoko, which is salted herring roe and eggs, it's a very prized and sort of pricey delicacy, but it symbolizes a prosperous and large family. So it's、mm. symbolizing fertility. Kazu meaning number because of all the little. Um, herring rows and co meaning children. So once again, you have health, you have fertility, you have、um, industriousness. You know, you, you have good luck and for the new year. It. I love that every dish means something.、Mm, right, and not just that. It's、uh, it's colorful and also、yes. highly nutritious and balanced. Like the katsunoko, for example, that cured herring row, that has a lot of.、Um, Good stuff for our body, and also、right. it's crunchy and it's so addictive. So I would just fight for it. I'm the I just, I'm the person straight going to Kazunoko because it's.、So、I、good. love it too. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, the other dishes that sort of、um, one other dish that isn't in this mainly because it's so large and it's kind of like the centerpiece is、uh, yaki sakana. And usually, it's a whole salted seabream,、uh, Thai fish that's grilled, and it's presented、um, in the centerpiece of the dining table. And it's garnished with pine needle branches, and it's, you know, it's delicious served cold. And then the next day, you could even pour lots of sake over it and steam it, and continue to eat it. So、mm. there's. Yeah, and there's another dish. I'm sure you'll ask. Oh, me hold on, hold、there. on. So the Thai is a sea bream, and the、yes. Thai has a pun with meditai. Meditai is festive, so that's、right. another meaning. So yeah, a, exactly. Right, and the Thai is red, which is a happy color. So happy so color. Much good luck. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, and、um, the whole thing like namasu, which I mentioned, the vinegared salad. You know, again. The red and white colors associated with happiness and celebration in Japan.、Um, I just like that the whole concept of osechi and the way it's served. It's so intentional, you know,、mm. and, and all the symbolic meanings are positive、uh, meanings for us.、Um, again, releasing the old and bringing in the new. Right. Well, one dish I really want to discuss because it's in your book too. That's、mm-hmm. uh, kinton, and it's delicious.、Yes. <laughs> so, what is kinton, and why、right. should you eat it in the New Year? Right. So,、um, 
Kudikinton is a mashed sweet potato puree <clears throat> with candied chestnuts. Now, you don't have to put the chestnuts in, but it does kind of add a nice flavor and crunch. Um, and in the old days, if you served Kudikinton, in the translation was chestnut gold mash, which I love that. And again, it, it can be... Um, suffocatingly sweet, but you can adjust the the sugar of it. And again, it's symbolizing wealth and economic prosperity. Um, if you think about it, the dish is yellow in color, which you associate with gold. And by eating kudikinton, it's bringing in and allowing in uh, financial prosperity for the year to come. You know, you usually end up making too much. Uh, and as just as an aside, I have um, spread it on jam, on toast, like jam, uh, after the New Year's is over. It's delicious. And I have even served it at Thanksgiving, and it mm. was a big hit. So, you know, you can tweak it a little bit and not just have it uh, during Japanese New Year's. Right. Well, in that box, uh, the you know New Year's box, that was the item we always sold out because me and my brother, let's <laughs> say, fighting like literally, <laughs> who's gonna oh get gosh. it first? <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. It's really um, you can preserve it in a jar. You know, right. this, it's really, really good. So, so the point is that um, you know Japanese New Year, even if it's pre-prepared, it's high-end delicacies. All yes. over in the fall boxes. So, and so listeners, you can find that in uh, Lucy's book. But uh, I just want to ask you: it's really not in the box, but there is a, a special item that's called ozoni. So, what is ozoni? So, um, one of the ideas of Japanese New Year's is that the, you know, historically or traditionally the. Japanese housewife would not spend her time in the kitchen, which means that she wouldn't make rice. So as an alternative for Japanese New Year, people would eat mochi, which is uh, ri fresh rice cakes. And, um, you know, I've always loved mochi, and I'm very lucky that here in the Bay Area we can buy fresh or you can buy dried. And you toast them. So it's, you know, pounded rice cakes, usually in a square or a circle, you toast them. And ozoni is the regional soup that can even differ from house to house, that it is literally the only hot dish that is served during um, osechi. And it is sort of the conclusion of the meal. And um, mochi, of course, the fresh mochi, if you're lucky to get it, is served in many different ways throughout this period. We love mochi. And um, I always want to try, or I always suggest uh, to my daughter, a, a different uh, ozoni to make. Um, but it, we always seem to come back to one that is from a specialty of Hokkaido because she, we both love salmon and we love salmon roe. So, uh, that's probably the one I'm going to make 
this year as well. But it's so much fun to kind of travel around, you know, culinarily travel around Japan uh, each year <clears throat> and um, making a different ozoni. Mm, right. So even our listeners can make, you know, their own, uh, right? To basically, uh, to usually a beautiful lacquer ball again for right. the new year. And then and with a the nice. One uh, than your- than your typical soup bowl. Right. And you yeah. feel special, how like laka feels good in the hand. And inside there's, a, you know, your own uh, stock, like dashi, right. Uh, right. to your liking. And you can just put the mochi and anything else you can. So that's a very creative project. And you can really feel good about having it swarming and cleansing and delicious. And it's delicious, right? And you know, it has vegetables, and it might have fish. It might have um, chicken, and um, sometimes it might have miso. Uh, you know, there's a um, a Kyoto style ozoni I make that uh, uses white miso. So you know, it's fun to to try different types. Mm, right. So it's ozoni. It's O Z O N I ozoni. Right. So. By the way, uh, before you eat the New Year's feast, uh, you sip otoso. So yes. what is it? That's important. Yes, yes. yes. So um, otoso is a spiced, uh, cold, medicinal kind of flavored sake that you drink during um, the New Year's period. And again, if you think of uh, the kanji or the, the characters, otoso means the first kanji means evil spirits, and the second kanji means to defeat. So once again, by drinking otoso and toasting everybody at the table, you're uh, releasing or flushing away any bad luck or misfortune from the previous year and welcoming in the new. It is an acquired taste, uh, but you only drink it as your toast, and then you go for the rest of the meal and you know, the rest of those days, you're drinking um, regular sake. I like right. it, to be honest. Yeah. Well, it's like a very ambitious and somewhat medicinal, but uh, they usually get five to ten different ingredients, including, right. uh, you know, the uh, fruit of sancho, uh, you know, the uh, orange peel and the cinnamon and the things. And then, um, so here's the thing. I like Totoso because um, it has to be drunk first, Right. By the youngest person in the family, and I was the youngest in the family. And that was uh-huh. the first time in my life to be able to do first <laughs> in the family. So. <laughs> yeah, so and it's and aromatic, then, and it, you know, yeah. it, it's a kind of a nice way to uh, once again to begin New Year's mm, Day, right? And the the amount of alcohol can be um, very slight. Or right. some people can add more, a lot of sake. So, and I think uh, that uh, the herbs, you can have, you can buy it in a small bag, like $2 or something at supermarkets. Right. And then you can just add um, sake or, you know, the, the mirin. Mirin, and, right. And you but, let it s- steep for a little while. Right. It's right. kind of a fun way, something new to try. And good for your health. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's so many other things we can discuss, but I'm so glad that you <laughs> picked this right time and we can just discuss right before the new year so our listeners can prepare their own new year reset 
um, right. food. <laughs> so that's great. And so your book, The Wonderful World of Bosechi, Japanese New Year's Recipes, contains plenty of cultural background of Japanese cuisine and simple and easy recipes. So where is it available? Amazon. Okay. Um, I have a paperback and an ebook version, and uh, you can, you know, even if you just type in Osechi, my book pops up first. Mm, great. Um, yeah, and a little, little pictures and the cultural background. I really enjoyed reading it. So, yeah, oh, thank you good. for writing thank that. You. Okay. And, uh, well, you have, uh, like briefly mentioned, you have a great website to about Japanese food. So thanks for the meal.net. So what is it about? So I started uh, thanks for the meal um, about three years ago. And it is my favorite Japanese recipes. And it's not just Osechi, it's everything. Um, and I have guest bloggers at two sometimes because it's kind of fun to see other people's views. And uh, it's just mini food essays and original recipes. And if you go to thanksforthemeal.net and you sign up, you get a, a collection of traditional Japanese salad dressings as a gift from me to you. Mm, great. Yeah, I really feel that you love Japan. Uh, it's all from your what are you write about. And uh, you are such a cheerleader of Japanese culture. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. You know, Japan, I've always considered since I went at 15, it is my second home. You know, at the moment, it's the my second home in my heart because I don't live there, but it will always be my second home. Mm, right. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us today, Lucy. And uh, I thank wish you. you a happy New Year, Japanese New Year. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or kikogatayama.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is uh, Amanda Wong. And uh, we'll take a break for the next couple of weeks. So I will see you in the new year. And uh, thank you all for listening. Happy holidays, everyone. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.